We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And we're back like we never left. Oregon fans, what's going on? How we living? Hope everybody's doing well on this Wednesday afternoon. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. We are coming to you live on YouTube at Oregon Football Max Taurus and on Twitter at MTaurus Sports. We got a big breaking news episode of the podcast, so we had to break out the live stream I'm joined on this episode of the Ducks Dish Podcast by my good friend Spencer McLaughlin of Locked On Ducks to help break this down. How we doing, Spencer? We are doing well, man. Rocking and rolling. Been just really productive today, and I'm I'm stoked to be back as always. Right on. Well, we are uh, glad to have you back. And if you guys are here on the live stream, drop a comment in the live chat. Maybe throw a question our way, and we'll see if we can get around to it. It's going to be a jam-packed episode as we're going to talk about this commitment and what it means for Oregon with Trent Ferguson hopping in the fold for Dan Landing and the Ducks in 2024. And then you got to look ahead, right? Because there's very little time to celebrate in recruiting. It never stops. And everybody is wondering what's next. So we're going to get into a little bit of that. What's next for Oregon on the recruiting trail here in 2024. So let's hop in here and just kind of, uh, let's just break this one down. We can throw on some highlights as well. And uh, we'll just break this commitment down from from every angle imaginable. Um, so just starting things off real quick, you know, this is an in-state guy, six foot seven, three hundred pounds, out of West Salem High School. So you get an in-state guy in the fold. Uh, he chose Oregon with a couple of other offers on the table, mainly a Pac-12 recruitment offers from Oregon State, Washington State, Nevada, and then Boise State actually offered just at the beginning of this month after a trip out to Boise to see the Broncos. So maybe not the most high caliber guy in terms of some of the guys that we're used to seeing commit to Oregon, but I think this is a solid addition. And, um, you know, we'll talk about it this episode that the timing couldn't be better. Yeah, I, I think, you know, anytime you can land r- recruits uh, in, in terms of commitments this time of year, it's a good thing for a staff because you just have so much going on. You know, spring practice is underway, but this is where, you know, recruiting staffs really come into the fold. It, you know, where Marshall Malkow is uh, in there and you've got directors of on-campus recruiting and you've got recruiting coordinators and, you know, Malkow, I think his official title is chief of staff for Oregon football. There's a director of player personnel. Uh, Don Johnson is uh, that that director of player personnel in there. So a lot of guys, that, that's how this stuff comes to pass. Doesn't mean that, you know, Elite Terry, our new offensive line coach, 
didn't have a, a major hand here, of course, or that Lanning wasn't in the fold at all. You figure it was probably more people for you know a, a recruit of, of this caliber who, as you're watching the highlight video, like, yeah, it has, has some very real promise, big size, six, seven, three hundred pounds. I, I think he's still trying to work on you know that explosiveness. I, I think that's why you, you see a guy that size and he's got a three-star rating versus you know other guys like Josh Connerly had a, a five-star rating coming out of high school. I think overall athleticism is where you know he may be lacking a bit. But the other thing too with, with offensive linemen, especially Max, they're the position group that in the transfer portal era, I feel like are most committed and understanding of the grind that is development on an individual level. Like if you look at Oregon's offensive line from uh, this past year, statistically, it was at least top three. I, I think probably the best offensive line Oregon has ever had, right? The numbers bore that out. They ran the ball well. They allowed, what was it, one sack in the first eight games only. They allowed the fewest sacks in the country. They did so many things well. You look at the recruitments of the guys who ended up being the starters for that group. There, there were a couple four stars, but like TJ Bass was a three star recruit. So I look at a guy like uh, like this, like this in Trent Ferguson and say, OK, so I don't expect him to play right away as a true freshman like Josh Connerly. But am I you know, going to just overlook him altogether, rule out the possibility he could one day be a starter and really good player? No, absolutely not. Marcus Harper was a three star recruit coming out of high school. Guy's played a lot of football for the Ducks. He's played a lot of good football for, for the Ducks as well. So um, I, I also like the in-state element of, of this as well. I, th I think it's always a sign of your program being in a good place, or sorry, your program being in a, being in a good place when you're, you're landing some of the best comment or commitments from, uh, from right in your own backyard. Yeah, and, and this is another interesting deal with Ferguson Spencer is that he's an incredibly raw prospect. You know, he's, he's only actually played four games uh, of high school football and you know he's he's going to Oregon you know the the interview with Brandon with Brandon Huff and I read that story he was talking about how he's always been a duck fan grew up a duck and you know it's an opportunity for for him to you know realize a dream but he's originally a you know a basketball talent um I think kind of the the discussion is that he just kind of outgrew his body a little bit in terms of um you know having that that basketball in in the element in the picture but uh that's where he obviously gets some of his uh, athletic upside uh, that you see on the field. And, and that's what you want. You want guys that are obviously massive human beings, but they got to be able to move too. They got to be able to bend. They got to be able to get out of their hips, all those things. So it's, it's pretty remarkable that he's uh, committed to Oregon with only four games under his belt. But the story about how Oregon found him is pretty interesting. Actually. Uh, I don't know if you've heard it, but for listeners, you know, it was I have uh, not actually Adrian Clem and, and uh, Tony Tuioti were going to a Sheldon game to, uh, to see their sons play this past year. And um, that's how they stumbled upon Trent Ferguson uh, in a game I'm assuming against West Salem. So uh, it's, you know, obviously this is a guy that has some upside or else Oregon wouldn't have taken the commitment from him. Uh, like you were saying, it's good to, to strengthen your in-state recruiting. Anytime there's guys on the table there that you want um, I, and you feel like are eventually capable of becoming contributors for you, you're going to take them. And then with a PAC 12 recruitment like this, you know, if he doesn't go to Oregon, who's to say he doesn't end up lining up across from the Oregon uh, once he plays his college ball? Yeah, I'm I'm with you there. It's definitely a guy that Oregon State would would go after because of of just kind of his size and makeup. And and I think that 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 story of him being kind of potentially a diamond in the rough. I wonder, Max, because remember this is a 2024 cycle. 
evaluations can can change guys can get invited to camps they can get more film he doesn't have a lot of film i i think that three-star rating is going to be almost exclusively just based on his size right like if you are six five and above 300 pounds and above you're automatically going to be i think from an offensive line standpoint a three-star recruit or or better and if he hasn't played a lot if he develops further he could climb, I think, in the recruiting rankings by the time he graduates in in 2024 and makes his way to to Oregon's campus. I didn't know that story, though, that they, you know, didn't have him on on their radar whatsoever. And then all of a sudden they watched him and we're going, mm, we got to go get that guy. Like, got to Got to have an offer there or else somebody's going to going to go pick him up. And, it, you know, unheralded recruits from the central Oregon area like Sheldon, for instance, have uh, historically done all right for the Ducks. Just thinking of one quarterback in particular who was under recruited, but always wanted to go to Oregon. So yeah, I, I'm I'm curious to see what uh, what happens here. And a couple of people have pointed out uh, my guy Bud Everts that uh, he's he's T Ferg number two, different position, but you know the first T Ferg worked out. You know that's Terrence. This is Trent. No relation that I'm aware of, but I'm I'm always down for those sorts of things just because they're fun. Yeah, and and I don't think that they're related, but that that is a that is a cool little connection to to draw. Um, just speaking a little bit more on Ferguson, you know, obviously very raw, like we were talking about, he doesn't have a whole lot of pass reps, uh, reps in pass protection in his film, but it was only four games and he was pancaking guys left and right. So you see that nastiness and that physicality that you want from an offensive lineman, you know, really working well uh, on double teams or just, you know, his, his assignment, um, and you know, or Oregon high school talent isn't necessarily on the same level as some of these other States. So that's why they can be a little bit hard to, uh, to um, you know, get a good feel for unless there's guys that are just can't miss dudes like you know Riley Williams last cycle, Talano Hufanga not too long ago, Chase Coda. Um, so that's why I wrote my evaluation story, my class impact story on Ducks Digest. You know, kind of take it with a grain of salt because we we still have to see you know what this guy can can ultimately become. Yeah, and there, there's always that element of of unknown because you look at you know the the high end schools in in the state of Oregon you say okay they only have a couple division one bodies on the field at a time he's playing for West Salem that competition is not going to be quite quite as high either I don't remember if they're 6A I would have I would have to double check but even if they are you make a great point that you know Oregon doesn't give you a lot of blue chip high caliber players you know Justin Herbert and and Peyton Pritchard on the basketball front are the exceptions not the the norm you know when when anyone in the state of Oregon makes it to the division one level even now even though I haven't lived in Oregon in oh gosh it's been seven years or so since I since I lived there or was even going there regularly six or seven years I I still hear about it because it's just not a common occurrence because you just don't have as many people so you don't have as many people it's less likely that you have people or uh, as many kids who are going to hit the genetic lottery and be able to go division one, right? Like think about the, the biggest recruiting hotbeds in the country, California, Texas, and Florida. Well, those are very highly populated States. Oregon is not a super populated state. And you know, they, they, they're, they're behind Washington for sure on, on the population and on the recruiting front. I mean, Washington now is becoming a really, really burgeoning recruiting state. I feel where they're sending out, several four four or five star recruits you know kind of year in and year out in Oregon you, you only get a couple but I, I I don't say this to indicate that you know he couldn't be good because I I think we really don't know what he is I, I think if you know you're Oregon here 
you see a lot of upside and you probably don't see that much downside because if he's someone who wants to be a duck, it's unlikely that someone would come in and flip him because he's going to be off most people's radar. He's got the physical size. And if you, if you work to develop him, yeah, he's six, seven, 300 pounds. Like they don't make a lot of guys like that. So if he can improve, then I, I think that's, you know, the sort of developmental project that you do need still to pan out every now and then in, in college football, even in the transfer portal era. Yeah. And I think, you know, we could talk a little bit more just about the offensive line room for Oregon right now and, and where they're at, where the class is at with uh, the O-line commits. Uh, he's the second guy to hop in the fold at O-line uh, along with Fox Crater from Evergreen High School, just over, just over the the state border at Van- in Vancouver, Washington. Um, so the Ducks do have two guys in the fold now, and it's a, it's a priority spot for Oregon because you don't know what the 2023 offensive line is going to look like right now. You have a couple guys coming back, Stephen Jones, Marcus Harper, Jackson Powers Johnson, to, to name a few, and then some transfer portal pieces. But um, but you just don't know what this group looks like, so you don't have the luxury of recruiting your offensive line knowing, okay, we have a bunch of starters coming back next year. It's not that pressing of a need. And, and I don't think that Trent Ferguson's a guy that's going to play early. You know, we're kind of on the same page as far as him being a developmental guy, not unlike George Silva. You know, he was a guy that the Ducks got out of the Juco ranks out of Fullerton College in the 23 cycle. He's on campus, but he's still very new to football. So he's also a little bit of a project, but Clem obviously saw the upside there before he departed. Um, and uh, yeah, so I think that you get some good momentum along the offensive line, a couple guys in the fold. You're still going after Brandon Baker. Uh, he's a big name, the headliner of the of the bunch out of modern day Santa Ana, number one tackle in the country. You also have Asendria Fua from Seattle O'Day. Those are two major targets that the Ducks are still working to make up ground on. Baker's going to be back on campus for the spring game, so that's good. And then uh, I think the last thing I kind of wanted to just talk about here while we're breaking down the Ferguson commitment before we get to what's next, it's a, it's a, a boost for Alik Terry, his first high school commitment since rejoining the Oregon football staff. He was on staff uh, in the crystal ball era working as a GA with, with uh, Alex Mirabal also alongside there. Uh, but we kind of knew he was a recruiter because I, I know for a fact that he was involved with Jackson powers Johnson's recruitment. So he's getting a little bit of uh, momentum under his legs. And then, you know, the same could be safe for some said for some of those newer guys along the offensive line site staff, uh, you know, Mike Cavanaugh and uh, cutter left, some, some new faces that are working with Oregon's O line. They're getting some boosts as recruiters too. Yeah, they are. And I don't think this says a lot one way or the other about Alik Terry's recruiting potential as Oregon's top offensive line coach now in in his second stint in Eugene, because he's a guy who's in your backyard. You know, it was at at some level kind of low hanging fruit, you know, not a highly sought after recruit. He's in your backyard. He's an Oregon fan, you know, always wanted to play for the Ducks. It's someone who you should absolutely be going to get because of the upside that we've talked about. But, you know, it's not someone that I look at and say, Wow, that is that the caliber of offensive line? Like, can we not get you know highly four, highly rated four stars? Can we not get the five stars anymore? I don't think it says that, and I also don't think it says that you know he's he's an otherworldly recruiter. I think it's just something that he you know should do as as the offensive line coach, and it'll be a test of his development if he's still around by the time Ferguson gets gets through Oregon's doors and really you know gets his his feet under him and starts practicing, getting in the weight room and learning the. Uh, skills and all that sort of stuff, but he he's also got to do some personal development. Ferguson does right, like he isn't going to be coached by Elite Terry for a couple of years, probably or a year and a half. I mean, he might get on campus next year. We'll we'll, we'll see, 
But if he doesn't come around till next fall, it'd be, you know, almost a year and a half before he'd really start being there. So he, he's got to do some work on his own time, I think, to get himself as ready as possible for the college ranks. Because, you know, as, as a guy that size, he's big fish in a small pond uh, at West Salem High School. Right. And I think you and I and most people from the state of Oregon understand that. But by the time he makes that jump. You know, you don't want to have a Khalil Ware situation on your hands where it's just kind of, you know, too much. And suddenly you're going up against people who are just as big as you and you don't have the technique and that falls and, and that be, ends up being a fault for you. So I, I think that he's got to do that, but certainly not someone I expect to start early in his career. But I also think, you know, looking at Oregon's offensive line, what they are this year, what they could be next year. I don't think they're in a place where they need to, you know, have him come in and like, oh my gosh, they're short on bodies or any anything like that. I think it's just it's it's a nice solid pickup, high upside, low expectations there, and I, I think it's the right thing to do. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. So the Ducks have their newest newest recruit in the fold, newest commit in the fold, and now we're going to shift gears a little bit and talk about what's next for Oregon on the recruiting trail because things can move really quickly and there's no shortage of guys that are making trips out to Eugene or, or just visited Eugene. We talked about Fox Crater, how he's going to be a big name to keep an eye on for Oregon here in the 2024 class, taking some big trips out to you know Texas A&M, Oklahoma, Georgia, the likes of uh, some some great SEC programs, but I did talk to him after you know landing after Clem left, not landing after Clem left, and he was saying, you know, I'm not going to just throw months of relationship building you know out the door just because my position coach left. 
So I, I still like where Oregon stands, but they're going to have to battle to, to keep him in the fold. Um, speaking about offensive line recruiting, we talked about Brandon Baker coming back for the spring game. Uh, I, I think Oregon definitely has a good shot, but basically everybody in the country is, is in on him. And I think he's going to be narrowing his list down uh, in the somewhat near future in the spring and the spring. But there's a big name that's going to be coming uh, on to Oregon's campus in Eugene this week. Uh, as a matter of fact, on Friday, uh, Isaiah Garcia, the number one recruit out of the state of Utah, is going to be making it out to Eugene. He's an offensive tackle out of Corner Canyon High School in out Utah, Utah, baby. out in uh, Spencer's neck of the woods. Uh, if you guys don't know, you know, Spencer does his thing with Southern Utah, holding it down out there. But uh, that's a huge name on uh, on that uh, big board for Elite Terry. And, and I'm hearing that it's looking like Oregon versus Utah right now as far as kind of where that recruitment's at. But great to get him on campus. Yeah, it is. And, you know, it reminds me of the the Spencer Fano battle a little bit, right? Like kind of the uh, the in-state kid who Utah is going after, Oregon's going after. And, you know, it's, it's a credit to Utah that they can go after these sorts of kids and do – you know, uh, or, or have a, a really competitive recruiting battle with Oregon for a highly sought after recruit. Cause I think if you go back to 2010, it might not have been as close, but Utah to their credit, they have done a really, really good job of building themselves up to be more than just, you know, a respectable brand in the conference, but a school that can now go out there and get a higher level of recruit. Now they're not going to get as many, you know, that's not really their MO, not their identity. I also don't know what their national recruiting reach is at this point in time. They still haven't made a college football playoff, but certainly it's a lot higher than it was uh, previously. But still, there, you know, Cal Whittingham just knows how to do more with less. And certainly, you know, we've seen at Oregon that he knows how to do that very, very well, uh, having won back to back Pac 12 championships. And, you know, in, in the last four full seasons of college football, Utah has played in the Pac-12 championship game, right? Like 2020 is a wash and whatnot. So when you've actually had a college football season, Utah has been there. And I think that, you know, that sort of stuff allows them to be a more serious player in, in these sorts of recruitments. And, and Utah, a little bit like Oregon, I think as a recruiting state, Utah has got more recruits uh, across the country. You know, Jeff Bossa is from Utah, Jackson Powers Johnson from there, the Sewells, of course, from, from Utah. I think you have, you know, more consistent blue chip high level power five talent coming out of Utah than, than Oregon. But I think they're kind of comparable. You know, they're, you know, the population is very densely concentrated in the Northern part of the state, Salt Lake city area for Utah and uh, Portland area, of course, in, in the state of Oregon. And, you know, you go to these schools and you can find one, maybe two, you know, depending on, on on where you look, it's not always the the easiest thing to find these sorts of kids when you do. I, I think it attracts a lot more attention, right? Someone like this isn't going to fly under the radar because when you're coming out of the state of Utah, you're playing at this level and you can be a power five football player, you're going to attract a lot of attention. And Corner Canyon, by the way, is a very, very well-known high school football uh, and, and basketball program in, in the state. It's a name that I've heard pop up many, many times on the high school sports scene. So, you know, it's it's not exactly modern day, of course, but nowhere is uh, modern day or St. John Bosco or one of those schools. But, it, you know, still, we, we've had a lot of success as as a program recruiting out of the state of Utah. And, you know, I, I look at that as as a very, very realistic option that, that Oregon should be interested in because, you know, you're trying to stack up as many good players as possible. 
yeah, so we'll we'll see if uh, I'm I'm gonna try to get an interview with uh, Isaiah Garcia and see what the what the skinny is on on that recruitment. But I think Oregon's in a good spot with him from kind of what I'm hearing. Um, and then you know just how well the Ducks have recruited the state of Utah, right? You talked about a bunch of those guys that they were able to get, so they're gonna be able to go back into that state with some familiarity uh, and some really good connections as well. Um, but let's look at some of the other positions. You know, a couple other notes to to hit on. You know, Ryan Pelham. 2024 wide receiver out of uh, Long Beach Millican, uh, you know, just up the road from me. You know, I saw him at uh, the UA Next camp in Los Angeles at Mission Viejo. He's on campus today uh, in Eugene. Um, I was able to confirm, uh, and that's an unofficial visit, but he's a, a big time wide receiver talent, former teammate with Jordan Anderson before Anderson transferred from uh, Long Beach Millican to uh, Newport Harbor High School. So there's some familiarity there. You know, maybe they can be teammates again at the next level. Um, but the wide receiver room at Oregon is, is looking really, really good, both with the guys on campus. And then you have Anderson and, and Denmark already in the fold. So if they're able to kind of make up some ground here with, with Pelham, who does have a connection with Don Pelham, the former Oregon linebacker coach, um, you know, that that's family for him. Uh, they, they could really, you know, try to shake things up here a little bit, because I think this is kind of trending towards maybe USC sec kind of a deal but you know you can't you can't count oregon out especially this early and, and with how good of a recruiter uh junior adams has been yeah and that that's a position group that you know is probably going to lose troy franklin after this year you never know what transfers you'll have out of uh that particular room but you know opportunities will will be plentiful i, I think going into 2024 in the receiver room with with franklin not there i believe holden's got two years of eligibility if if memory serves so he could be around and franklin could be as well i just i think franklin's going to be an nfl caliber wide receiver and that he will you know opt to go to the draft after after this season and whatnot but you know i think that creates an opportunity for a guy like kyler casper to to slide in and you know take a bigger role and really be the the receiver that w- that we thought he could be and you know when when you're going after these position groups Wide receiver, I think, is one where you can see guys transfer pretty easily, right, if they don't see a lot of playing time early in their careers. And and that's why, to me, it's important that you stack up bodies, that you stack up talent. Because, yeah, you brought in Troy Franklin and Dante Thornton. Well, guess what? Only one of them was able to shine. One of them did, of course. Right? Yeah, and Franklin is is realizing his full potential, and he's one of the best receivers Oregon's had in in the last 10 years, frankly. And so – you bring in these sorts of guys, you want to stack up as many as you can at a position like receiver. I think running back falls into this category as well, where you just expect that not everyone's going to see the amount of touches they feel like they're deserving of, or that they are, you know, capable of, which is true for a lot of guys and whatnot, but that that's just something I think you always have to have to be prepared for. And I know that people like getting, uh, you know, some, some legacy additions and that always uh, puts a smile on people's face. And, and, you know, a lot of times it works out. Sometimes maybe it doesn't, but Chase Cota worked out, I'd say pretty darn well. And I would have loved for him to have been a duck for his entire career, but I'm glad we had him for one year. Cause he was really darn good. Yeah. He, he did his thing and we know how strong the legacy connection is uh, at Oregon. Um, you know, with a number of recruits, these, you know, the past couple of years and players, you know, you got the Winston brothers, the Sewells, Coda, um, you know, the, the, the Herberts, I guess, yep. if you want to, if you want to count, that was really closely together, but, you know, I feel like Oregon is like almost undefeated when it comes to like using that brother leverage, that brother connection. Um, yeah, but, point. but 
Pelham's a, a really big name to watch here. You know, a couple other receivers that we're keeping tabs on for Oregon in 2024. You got Malachi Durant out of Washington. He was on campus recently. I think Oregon's in a really good spot there. You have Xavier Jordan out of uh, Sierra Canyon. I think USC looks like the team to beat there right now, but they're staying involved. And Aaron Butler out of Calabasas, where the Ducks found Micah Pittman uh, a couple years ago. Johnny Wilson's also there, uh, was also there. Jermaine Burton, big-time wide receiver. He was also there out of Calabasas. Uh, but Aaron Butler was raving about Will Stein when I talked to him to preview that visit to Oregon. He was there la- over the weekend saying that there were some of the best conversations he's had with a coach. So Oregon's doing their thing at wide receiver, and they're they're still going to keep pecking away at some of these big names the, the best that they can, chipping away. Um, but let's talk about the the timing of this commitment for, for Trent Ferguson, because I think that it's coming at just the right time for Oregon. You have programs like Ohio State, Michigan, Georgia, just all rattling off big commitments. And then now Trent Ferguson hops in the fold and Oregon has two commitments in less than a week with Aaron Flowers hopping in on Friday, the Texas safety. And then, um, you know, this this whole month, you're going to be lining up more big time guys for that spring game. And you're hoping to probably exit that weekend with a couple of big time guys. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest on Ferguson. I don't think the timing on his commitment matters as much if you're talking about momentum because he's not a real needle mover on that front. I think Flowers was the more timely recruitment. If you're talking about Oregon building another top 10 class, which they had this year under under Dan Lanning and the staff, and it's kind of the you know goal and or expectation for for this coaching staff going forward with, with Lanning at, at the helm. When I think about recruits and, you know, when they end up choosing Oregon, if I I don't know a lot about the recruit and as I'm doing research about them, one of the biggest things that I always look at, Max, is who else was after him. Right. So we've talked about the upside of of Ferguson from a recruiting front, but I don't think that's, you know, making a big splash. I don't think that's going to be, you know, nationally relevant on on the recruiting front as much. But a guy like Aaron Flowers you had Ohio State in the mix. You had USC in the mix. I think Alabama was in there. Like a lot of guys were after him. And for Oregon to emerge and get a guy out of Texas, by the way, which is a much more competitive recruiting state than Oregon, where, you know, for the most part, I think the Ducks pretty much dominate the the, the power five caliber players who are coming out of there. You look at the last several years, you know, Mario Cristobal leaving that contributed to guys like Riley Williams uh, ending up going elsewhere. But for the most part, the recruits that come out of Oregon, that that's kind of an expectation, at least for me, is the Ducks are the best football program in the state. They should be able to get, you know, all the high level talent that the state of Oregon can produce or at least most of it. But I look at a guy like Flowers and I think that's a more you know, notable commitment because of, you know, where he's coming from in the state of Texas, but also the the more national element to, to his recruitment. Yeah. And, and I don't think that I, I wasn't trying to necessarily say that Ferguson's a needle mover. I just think in the, in the grand scheme of things, you want to just be able to keep stacking commitments with the spring being such a pivotal recruiting time in the calendar. Um, and then just also how, Oregon's looking for a quarterback and we can kind of try to wrap on this. Oregon's still looking for a quarterback in the 2024 class. And as you get receivers, running backs, offensive linemen, they have a tight end with AJ Pugliano uh, in the fold. Um, It's just making it that much easier. Pugliano's out of North Medford, right? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Same high school as Coda. uh, I I think so. He was either North or South Medford. I can't, I can't quite remember, but I know that Coda was from, from Medford. Um, 
but but yeah, Luke Moga, we got to talk about him. He's the the kind of the big name that we're keeping an eye on for Oregon recruiting in the 24 class. He set a commitment date of uh, April 28th, which is coincidentally the day before Oregon's spring game. Um, so you have that coming out. And then you also have Michael Van Buren out of St. Francis Academy, National Powerhouse in Baltimore. He's coming to campus this weekend. I think Penn State's in the driver's seat there, uh, but he's going to be committing on July 8th. So to kind of wind down the show, Spencer, we can talk a little bit about Moga and uh, the quarterback picture because I'm of the belief that you get one high school guy and then a portal guy to maybe push tie uh, in, in 2024. We can kind of wind things down on that note. Yeah, I think it depends on, you know, what Thompson's development and what Novosad's development look like between now and next fall and and whether or not one or both, uh, you know, decide that that Oregon is the, uh, the long, long-term place for him. I think Ty would be the more likely guy to transfer, but he's also had every opportunity to do so, I would think, and has decided to stick it out at Oregon. But if he's not named the starter going into next year and they go with a transfer, then, then it'd be you know hard to see him continuing to stick around. Coda was South Medford, by the way. Pugliano is uh, at North Medford. My dad went to Medford High School, but he's older, so he went there when there was just the one Medford Medford High School uh, back in the day. But yeah, you know what, what's curious about Oregon's recruitment in the last couple of years of quarterbacks? They've done it backwards, right? Most most schools recruit a quarterback offensively, and then other skill positions follow. But Oregon is just for whatever reason, could be random. It could be an approach from the staff. I don't think there's a right or wrong way to do it. Clearly it works. They had a top 10 class this year, portal in and high school. So it's just interesting to see how they, how they go about that, right? Is when you get a quarterback, if it's, you know, a guy like Luke Moga, I don't think he's going to move the needle for a bunch of other recruits, but if it's a guy like Dylan Rayola, if it's a guy like Elijah Brown, that, those are names that are bigger on the high school football recruiting scene that could see, you know, other commitments at skill positions or offensive linemen follow suit and say, yeah, I want to go play with that guy because I know what, what he's about. But, you know, if, if Moga is the quarterback that Oregon ends up getting in 2024 and he's the only one, I think it's pretty likely they would. No, it would depend on Ty. I I think, I think would depend on how they feel about Ty going into 2024. Is he sticking around, and do they feel like he could be ready to start? Because if he's not, then, yeah, you you got to bring in a transfer. But if they feel like he is, they might roll with that. All right, how about we tackle this question, then we wrap. Does that work for you, Spencer? Yep, good to go. All right, cool. Because this is basically already what we were talking about. But question from Andrew, uh, longtime listener, frequent viewer. Appreciate you stopping by and, and popping in a question. Always like your guys' questions. Andrew says, here's a question. Moga's probably going to commit before Van Buren. If he goes Oregon, does that put the Ducks out of the running for Van Buren, Rayola, and Elijah Brown? No. Um, well, yeah, I think I think in the short answer it's no, but it's 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 more complicated than just, you know, just saying no. I think with quarterback, you if you are gonna get two quarterback commitments, you have to have that conversation with both of those guys and you know, have them make sure that they're comfortable not being the only guy in the class, which is something that Oregon hasn't done, mind you, since um, 2020 when they got Jay Butterfield and Robbie Ashford, both who are no longer on the roster. Um, I think we already talked about Van Buren. I feel like, um, you know, these guys are interesting because they're the last blue chipper quarterbacks that are remaining. You know, quarterbacks are coming off quick in the 2024 class. It's very top heavy. Um, and with, with Rayola, there was some buzz that he might not make it out for the spring game. Uh, but I'm trying to do some digging, and it looks like he hasn't ruled it out completely yet. 
Uh, you know, there's not a decision on if he's going to go or not. So we got to make sure we stay tapped in on that one. But, you know, Rayola isn't a guy that you're going to turn away, you know, regard like nobody's going to turn that guy away. I think Van, Bu- uh, sorry, I think Elijah Brown is really under recruited. Um, and I feel like he's probably USC's top option if Rayola ends up going to Georgia uh, with him being a modern day guy, Southern California guy. They just got Cliff Kingsbury, which is going to make their record- quarterback recruiting even better, I would imagine, because it was such an issue before with uh, Lincoln Riley bringing over a Heisman winner and Caleb Williams. But I digress. Um, I don't I don't think that it you know puts them out of the running here, but it's going to have to be something that they you know manage pretty carefully. Um, I think that Moga could end up becoming a, move, a needle mover because he's one of the most coveted quarterbacks in the country, even though he's only a three-star right now. 25 reported offers from coast to coast. Miami is also a threat in that recruitment. But uh, but I'm feeling pretty confident that, that Oregon's looking like the team to beat here 16 days from his uh, commitment. Yeah, the reason I, I said no to your, your question there, Andrew, is, is twofold. And Max touched on one part of it, which is you can't add two quarterbacks. Oregon's done it before from the high school ranks. It's not you know unheard of. But the second thing is we're talking 2024, and none of these national letters of intent get signed at the earliest until December. So you have a lot of things that could change between now and then. So if MOGA does commit to Oregon, he's definitely not locked in. Like he's not the sort of guy as, as a recruit, unless they feel he's, you know, wildly under recruited like Mariota or Herbert, which is not the indication at this point in time. He's not the sort of guy who you get to commit and say, okay, yeah, we're good at the quarterback spot. Let's just make sure we, you know, keep him committed going forward. I think he's the sort of guy who, you know, you'd like to have because you clearly see some upsides why you offered him and, all that sort of stuff. And stars are definitely not everything in the quarterback space, as I just alluded to with Mariota and Herbert, who were both three stars. But I think that they could go in another direction as well. And they could say, yeah, by all means, commit to us. But just know if we go out there and get an Elijah Brown, who is, you know, you said he was under recruit. He's got offers from Alabama, Georgia, USC, Washington, Utah, like a, a lot of different places. They go out and really pursue Elijah Brown hard, or they get Rayola or Van Buren because they like those guys more. They may, you know, tell Moga, kind of, kind of give him a caveat of like, okay, so if you choose us, great, we'll we'll be happy to have you, but just know, you know, basically, you're not our number one. Like he's he's not that sort of of prospect. So yeah, I, I think you you could see two quarterbacks, or you could see a situation where Elijah Brown, you know, commits in the future. And then Luke Moga decommits, and then Elijah Brown's the quarterback in in the class. Yeah, so it's it's a it's a very complicated question. I mean, there's no position more complicated recruiting wise than quarterback, just because you know you have. I'd say it's probably the position that is most likely to enter the portal, whatever school you go to. And uh, I was talking about this on a recent episode, uh, talking about you know are the quarterback dominoes starting to fall for Oregon in the 2024 class? That was the last episode. You guys should go check that out if you haven't already. But it's like you're only really looking at the quarterback on a year to year basis, but that doesn't mean that you don't need to have quality depth there and quality talent in that room, which is why we're talking about Spencer. You know, maybe it makes sense for Oregon to take two quarterbacks here. Um, I just think that it largely does depend how you feel about Ty going into next year. Um, You know, he hasn't had, I I, I think it almost entirely depends on Ty because you wouldn't take two high school quarterbacks. If you're going to bring in a transfer because Nova Sad is not the sort of guy who anyone expects to play this year. And I don't even know if they expect him to start next year, right? I think he's on the Jay Butterfield route. He's going to sit for at least a year, probably two. 
And then by year three, he'll be competing. If he doesn't get the starting job, maybe he transfers out. But with that in mind, if, you know, you feel like Ty is ready, then you probably give him a chance. But if you feel like he's not ready, you have to bring in a transfer because then you'd be left with one or two true freshmen, Novasad and Ty Thompson, who you don't feel is ready to be a starting quarterback. So I, I think that that's, that's kind of how that would play out. Yeah, no, that, that I feel like we're on the same page as far as that goes. Um, but either way, you want to get your quarterback at least one in the fold early so that you can, you know, have him help you recruit a class. And most quarterbacks understand that dynamic in the, in the you know grand scheme of things when it comes to recruiting. Um, so we'll see we'll see what happens with Moga. Um, you know, I'm feeling like uh, feeling like the Ducks are in a good spot, like I mentioned, but they're still going to stay involved on a couple guys. You know, you can't. You can't put all your eggs in one basket, which is part of the reason that they're bringing out, you know, Van Buren for a visit this weekend. Um, and and uh, both of those guys are super athletic, you know, kind of dual threat talent type of dudes. I think uh, Moga runs a sub 11 in the 100 meters. So that's kind of a, a little bit about, you know, shows you the speed that Oregon's working with. But any any final notes here, Spencer, before we sign off? No, I think we uh, we covered just about everything on the recruiting front so far. Oh yeah. Well, there's, there's so much more that we could get into. Don't even, well, yeah, I meant for, I meant trip. for today. I meant for no, today's I, topics. Yeah. No, oh, we could keep going. Free. We keep going. Yeah. We, 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 we could keep going, but I gotta, I gotta hop out. No, I know me too. Me too. I got other stuff to get to, but before we get out of here, Spencer, where can people find more of you and what you have going on in the college football space? Yeah. I host locked on ducks and locked on pack 12 Monday through Friday on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And I'm on Twitter at smalls underscore 55. If you have, if you ever want to drop me a note, you can follow everything that I've got going along there play by play and otherwise, but always great to come on with you, Max. Appreciate it. Yeah. Appreciate you coming on. Got, uh, Spencer, uh, you guys make sure to tap in with him over there on his platforms. Check out his shows. If you want to find more of me, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at mtorissports. And then stay tuned to ducksdigest.com for all my latest written coverage covering the Ducks. Drop a like on the video and subscribe to the channel and share the Ducks Dish podcast. Appreciate you guys for taking some time out of your day to talk some Duck football with us. And we will see you in the next episode of the Ducks Dish podcast.